Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. different from you. We're going to hear testimonies of Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving is coming up this week, and so it's an appropriate time for us to be declaring what God has done in our own lives and give glory to him through our stories. Revelation says that we defeat the beast by the power of the blood and the word of our testimony. What we say about God and what he has done in our life has power, and so we're going to celebrate that today. First, I'd like to invite up Christy L. to come on up. Tell us what the Lord is doing. Good morning. morning. Moses once described God as the one who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and cloud by day to show you the way in which you should go. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. I'm so grateful that the Lord is always with us, that he wants to do life with us, and that he goes before us. Sometimes we're approaching the unknown or we're entering a new situation or season, but God is already in the future. He has gone before us. He's made a way and a place for us. Three and a half years ago, I had no idea that his next place for me would be Illinois or GBC. I thought you might like to hear the crazy but true story of how I almost never came to Illinois, almost never visited GBC, and almost never joined the staff. And I never imagined that God would give me several desires of my heart here in Illinois. So over three years ago in the pre-COVID world, I was working at a corporate headquarters in South Carolina where I had lived the previous seven years. In 2018, I sensed that God was going to lead me to another job after my next work anniversary. Meanwhile, an opportunity popped up in the accounting department. Was this it? Then another job offer came my way. Yet God paused me in pursuit of these jobs. It's not the time, and this isn't the place. I sensed that he intended to move me out of the area, and my brother as well, but I had no idea where. Maybe Colorado Springs? I love mountains. And exactly when, I didn't know. Although I wanted to start looking, God said, wait. I'm still learning to trust that he knows best. So about a year later in the summer of 2019, I made a last minute decision to drive to Atlanta, Georgia, three hours away, so six hour round trip, to a memorial service. There I ran into an acquaintance that I hadn't seen in 12 years. He offered me a job in the Chicago suburbs to manage a nonprofit publication project. He asked me three times and he said, pray about it. I was nearly certain that this two year contract in Illinois was not the opportunity that God had for me. So I planned to wait a couple weeks, thank him, great to see you, and decline. However, a few weeks later, I decided to take a survey trip. Even after this, I felt 50-50 about this job. Within days, however, there was a certainty and peace that this was the path to take. 
This opportunity was an unexpected provision for project management experience and also fulfilled a desire to work on family devotional material. I would also be able to reconnect with longtime family friends in Springfield, Illinois, which was a desire that God had postponed for 11 years. That's a whole other story. So a couple months later, I set off, all because of a last-minute trip that I almost canceled to that memorial service in Atlanta. Little did I know what would happen on my road trip to Chicago. In the mountains of Tennessee, my Highlanders struggled. There were no auto stores for miles that could read the codes for the engine lights that had popped up on my dash. With few options, I slowed down, prayed, and drove on. Then I lost cell phone reception. I just tried to make it to a certain exit where my brother had told me that I could find an AutoZone. Just as I reached that exit, my Highlander lost all power. It coasted to the side of the exit ramp and stopped safely. And I was just inside cell phone reception again, able to call for help. No one could have timed that more perfectly than God. I realized that the transmission was probably blown and that replacing it would probably cost more than the value of the vehicle, so I left it with the tow truck driver in Tennessee. So now I had to get to Illinois, and one-way car rentals were very expensive and probably too small to carry the goods from a jam-packed Highlander, where I was going to be living for two years. So the next best option was maybe a box truck? So I called U-Haul, they searched multiple states, but nothing was available within, I think it was two or 300 miles. It was Labor Day weekend. This was a good time for folks to move. So a 26-foot truck came up on the radar, but I was certain that God did not want me to drive a 26-foot truck. <laughs> Another rep um, I called turned up every stone, and he apologized that nothing was available. Then he interjected, wait, a box truck just popped up, and it's about three miles from where you are. I immediately called that location, explained my situation, and made a verbal reservation. Just as I walked into the U-Haul store, the agent picked up a ringing phone, looked at me, and then said, no, I'm sorry, it's not available. The lady who is here for it just walked in. Once again, God's timing was perfect. He put a nearly brand new box truck in the middle of rural Tennessee just in time. So I was on my way to Illinois again for two years, I thought. Eager to settle in and find a church home, I visited a number of churches from downtown Chicago to Wheaton. Then, with winter approaching, I decided it would be smarter to look locally so I could be more involved in church, and because this southern girl and her two-wheel drive do not do icy roads. So I googled churches based on certain criteria, and I made a list of maybe 20. I visited several, then GBC, and continued to visit elsewhere, working through my list. However, I kept coming back here. This church reminded me of my church family in Atlanta. After a couple of months, I knew this was home. So I told you I almost wasn't the GBC secretary. So last fall, as that two-year project was coming to a close, I considered moving away. I explored some possibilities, including one in Kentucky, but God didn't give me peace to apply. Out of the blue, I received a tempting job offer in Washington State. The Holy Spirit kept nudging me to wait, so I focused on the completion of the project here. There had been some challenges over those two years, but it was rewarding work, and I had no doubt that God had led me and provided for me to be here. Meanwhile, after months of wanting to have Pastor Adam and Elaine over for dinner, I finally obtained Elaine's contact info, and we worked out a date that worked for everyone. None of us knew how precise that timing would be. During the meal, the Waters asked me about my future plans. I replied that I would be looking for other work soon and mentioned a few leads. Pastor Adam had just received notice that day, or the day before, that a staff position would be coming open. He encouraged me to consider that opportunity, and over the next few weeks, two other staff members, unbeknownst to any of them, encouraged me to imply. 
During this time, two other staff members offered for me to live with them while working on school and working for GBC. I was just floored by this generosity, absolutely amazed. I had done nothing to merit all of this abundance from the Lord. God reminded me that his goodness is not based on our performance or our circumstances. For years, I had passing thoughts of serving on a church staff, probably years down the road, but there was no doubt that this was the job that I was to apply for, and I was delighted to join the GBC team last January. God is with you, and he is already in your future. Wherever he leads, he provides. His way and his timing are perfect. When we face uncertainty or the unknown, we can recall his past faithfulness and wait expectantly and worshipfully. Some lines from Psalm 114 and 115 read, Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the congregation. His work is honorable and glorious. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Not unto us, O Lord, but unto your name give glory. For your steadfast love and for your truth's sake, the Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. And we certainly are grateful as a staff to have Christy on board. Provision from the Lord for sure, and we are grateful for that. And we got another story. George Rocha, our illustrious Awana leader, one of the many. <laughs> Young people, pay attention. This is your leader. Yeah, kids, I'm not going to fall on the floor right now, so don't get scared. <laughs> I'm not gonna play dead, right? No. Uh, yeah, uh, wow, it's Thanksgiving and uh, there's so much to be thankful for. I'm thankful for all of you. you. You've become my family, really. You've been there for me. I'm not gonna cry. Uh, not because I think I'm strong and, you know, macho man, but man, if a tear falls out of my eye, that's okay, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Somebody can give me a Kleenex, please. Uh, but no, I, I just want to say that uh, this, this year was a rocky road for me, uh, especially with the uh, job situation. Um, let's start back in March of this year. Uh, everything was going fine in my job, so I thought, and uh, it was, this is like a little story. Okay, guys, so it's like a story for you guys. I'll make it quick. Uh, it was about three o'clock and I saw my boss sitting in front. He comes running back and he scared me. And I said, what's going on? He said, uh, George, I'm gonna have to let you go. I'm like, what, what's going on? Let's sit down and talk about this. What, what do you mean? He says, I gotta let you go. I says, did I do something wrong? Was it job performance? Was it, you know, tell me, I wanna know. He said, uh, no, uh, George, everything's going great. You're a great worker. You're, uh, everything, you know, you come in on time, but uh, uh, I just got to let you go. I can't explain it. That was his words. I can't explain it. I got to let you go. So I'm like, oh, man, I got to pay my bills and my, <laughs> my mortgage. How am I going to do this? <laughs> so uh, so anyway, uh, he even said, I'll help you pack up, you know, get the box. and Here, I'll let you go open the car door for you. Okay, go. So, well, I'm, I'm trying to get my stuff, but it, when things happen real quick, I left some of my stuff back there, you know, and, uh, but anyway, I, I was able to come back and get, 
the rest of my things that I had left, and he even said, hey, take whatever, you know, we want the shirts, you want, it's fine, but anyway, so then it came the time for, well, I thought, uh, unemployment, <laughs> you know, unemployment, you know, you, go, you call unemployment in that? Well, I thought it was going to be that simple, but when I called unemployment, they told me, uh, you're not going to be able to uh, receive unemployment. I said, well, well, what's going on? Why? He says, because somebody stole your identity. Because somebody stole your identity, you can't file unemployment until we fix this up. So imagine, I'm, I'm unemployed, I can't collect unemployment, where's the income going to come? And uh, so that was a dilemma for a, uh, for a time. And of course, at the time, I was looking for work. And uh, um, there were several jobs that were kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm flexible. They call me flexible. So uh, uh, the one job was working at a, a, a dermatologist where they have to check the biopsies for the tumors and stuff. But I couldn't see myself looking at tumors every day. I was, it was just so hard for me to digest. Um, I said, you got something else maybe in the back room where I could just see the, the files or something or the patient's name or something? And I, said, I don't want to see tumors, please. Uh, but uh, the lady was so nice. I just... The other one was... Um, uh, what was it? Uh, there were several other ones. Oh, uh, the one where I came in and... Uh, I told the guy that I lift weights, I'm strong, because they wanted me to lift 80-pound motors, you know, and clean them up. I said, I could do that. I'm strong, you know, I lift weights, you know. I compete with my son. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, okay, well, we'll see. I'll call you tomorrow, maybe. So I go to the door, and I try to open it, and I couldn't open it. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world is going on? I'm trying to open the door. What, what is this? And so the guy, the, the manager is like, what's going on? I said, I don't know. I can't open your door. He said, I thought you were a tough guy. I thought you were strong. So he comes up, opens the door. <laughs> so embarrassing. I thought maybe God, you're closing the door. Ha, 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 ha. You're closing the door on this job. So that wasn't it. I go to another job, and before that, they told me, George, uh, you know, because they knew I had medical ex record experience. You want to? I thought I was going to work right there, right? So be maybe a block away from my wife's job. So then I go there and I, I, I knock on the door. Nobody answers. I call. Nobody answers. I knock on the door. Finally, a man opens the door. I open it. I go in there. There's nobody in there. What kind, of, what kind of company is this? There's nobody in the building. So he sits me down. He goes, uh, yeah, what I want you to do, George, is I want you to be... Uh, uh, I want you to be a salesman, and you're going to be working in Aurora. Aurora, salesman. That, I thought I was going to be working here. No. I'm like, oh, my God. That's like, I don't think that's going to work out either. So, so there was several jobs, you know, that just God opens and God, you know, he closes, he shuts doors down. And so anyway, uh, during one time, I was by myself in the house. It became really dark. And there was a storm coming. I was, Mary was working. I was in the living room. Nate had just brought this beautiful Bible of the book of Psalms with pictures and everything. It, it became really dark, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I started hearing these things like, George, you know, look at you. You know, everybody's working, and you're sitting there doing nothing. You know, you're, you know, you start hearing these voices, you know, like, 
George, what are you doing? You're good for nothing, you know. You should be working, you know. What are you doing, you bum, you know? So uh, I, I took that, that Bible, I turned on the little light, and I opened it up to, to, the, to Psalm 18, and in Psalm 18, it says, it's, I'm not, this, this really happened. I read it. It said, God turns the darkness into light. And all of a sudden, the light started coming out. The storm went away. And God empowered me through his Holy Spirit. And I had this, like, energy. I'm like, I'm going to get on the phone, and I'm going to start calling these players. And I started calling and calling and calling. And eventually... Uh, Okay, this, this is gonna, we're going to put this to a close, okay? I'm not going to be here all day talking to you guys, right? Uh, so then all of a sudden, it was the day of prayer. What was that called, the National Day of Prayer? I was painting, and all of a sudden the phone rings. I get a phone call from one of the jobs that I had applied for. They said, would you like to start, you got the job, would you like to start next Tuesday? Like, yes, yes, all right. So, you know, already getting excited, you know, I called Mary you know, and everything. So then all of a sudden, Mary came home that day, it was five o'clock, and I told Mary, I got the job, I got the job, you know. It's only about a block away from your job, it'll be great. All of a sudden, I get another phone call that same day from a job, another job that I really wanted before this job. So it was like, it, it was like God was just showering on the National Day of Prayer. Isn't that something? Isn't that cool? And so, uh, so yeah. So then I, I, now I had a choice. Which job should I take? And I prayed and I said, God, just lead me to the, what is, give me peace. And he led me to the job and I've been there since. Hallelujah, praise God. Now, uh, trying to help my buddy here, uh, Bob to come in there too. Uh, and so, yeah, since then I've, I've been working there. It's great, it's working out. Uh, they, they need me, they called me. They said, George, we, we, we can't do it without you. But I'm gonna say this one last thing. Praise God for the church. Praise God for Adam Waters who was there. You guys were there praying for me. If it wasn't for you guys, if it wasn't for your prayers, nothing would be possible. I'd probably still be looking for a job right now. So thank you so much. I love you guys. Okay. That was wonderful. Um, all right. I'd like to invite the Kingdom Kids to come up and stand around the shoeboxes and touch them. Put your hands on them. This year, Grace Bible Church packed 184 shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. Thank you to everyone who donated shoeboxes and items for those shoeboxes, money for shipping it, and their time. 
We know that each child who will receive a shoebox will hear about Jesus, and we pray each one will choose to follow him. Kingdom Kids is now going to lead us in a prayer for these shoeboxes and the children who will be receiving them. Let's pray. Dear God, you are our comforter and hope because you comfort us and bring us hope when we are sad and have hard times. Please forgive our sins and help us to think of others and, and please forgive uh, not just and not just ourselves. Thank you for the opportunity to pack um, shoe boxes um, for Operation Christmas Child. Thank you for the kids who are made in your image who are going to re re revive these boxes. I pray for kids who are going to receive the boxes, that they get what they need in them, and that through the Bible stories, they know about you and share with what they know about you with others. I also pray for the people who are going to deliver the boxes that you keep them safe and that you give them the wisdom to teach the children your word. And all God's children said, Amen. All right, we'll give two more songs for you. During this next song, um, uh, so it's 557 if you're Himmel, if you want to sing along. Uh, but um, I was reminded the theme of the service is Thanksgiving, and I was just reminded that um, uh, Thanksgiving is a, is, is a choice. It's not just something that happens to us. Um, and it's also, you know, we talk about, like, seeing the world through rose-colored lenses. Like, it kind of, like, implies that, like, oh, someone with, like, a positive out outlook, it's fake. It's not real. Like, the world is a dark, horrible place. And, like, if you think it's not, then, then you're not seeing correctly. You're making this stuff up. Um, but, no, God, I think when he asks us to, to be people of thanksgiving, it's uh, opening our eyes to the good things that are actually there. It's seeing rightly. Um, and there are things that are dark and hard and difficult, but there are also many things that are beautiful and wonderful. And, um, so just as I sing this next song, it's kind of a new one we haven't done in here. So um, if you want to sing along, great. Uh, but this is also an awesome, this would be an awesome opportunity for you to think back and just remember um, those things that you do have to be thankful for in ways that God has provided uh, for you or spoken a word of encouragement. Um, so let's just take this time to remember those things. Um, and then as you feel led, you can... You guys can have a seat. So good to be back, Lane and I. I'm not going to lie, though. Germany was pretty awesome. Um, we were serving at a camp uh, with the dependents of active duty military who are stationed in Japan. And funny story, uh, Jim and Shannon Pitzer had invited me to come speak, and I was so grateful and excited for it, and I started preparing. You know, what exactly did I want to say? How did I want to sort of weave my story? I actually weaved my story through the prodigal son text, and I was thinking about what exactly I wanted to say. And in my mind, even though I knew and they had told me amply that it was middle schoolers, I saw high schoolers in my brain. 
So I had prepared four days worth of content and I was looking out the window as they showed up at these vans and these little kids start pouring out. I mean, little kids. It was a couple of real shorties. I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to shock them. And so I got up and I said, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and preach what I got. And by the end, they were saying, thank you for not talking to us like we were children, you know. After I got through day one, you know, atheism, drug addiction, prison, I was all these kids like this. <laughs> and I said, and I said uh, okay, so we have a few minutes left. Are there any questions? It was like, <laughs> every hand went up. Uh, it, was, it was a great time. And then afterwards, Lane and I got to travel around the country. And so in the south of Germany, so we were driving from Würzburg is where we were. We went to Munich. We got to see Igor and Vita Svidersky while we were there. We got to see uh, Marissa Nee Logan Crippen and her husband Brock. And so we got to spend time with them there as well. And then we got to spend time with Ben, Win uh, ben Williams, Lou and Ann's son. And it was a really wonderful time. We had a great time there. As we were driving through the country and we had been done speaking and I was sort of just, you know, zoning out, we see the Alps cropping up in the distance as we're driving very fast on the Autobahn, I must say. There's a little symbol that shows up on your dashboard on the new cars that is the, there's no speed limit symbol. And I like waited for that symbol. And they upgraded me to a BMW when I got there. So I was doing pretty good, yeah. So we were going fast. It's legal there, but I think we hit like 140 or something like that, but... And there were cars flying by us. And so we see the Alps. We went and see Neuschwanstein Castle. You know, they modeled the Walt Disney Castle after. And it was just, the food was amazing. And it just was impressed upon me how good God is. I don't deserve any of this. I don't. And it gave me such a sense of thankfulness and gratitude. I was standing in the cafeteria at the youth hostel we were at after the first night. And this young man comes up to me and he, out of nowhere, he looks up and he says, how do they even let you near us? <laughs> I said, you know, I don't know. God is good. When you start doing the right thing and living a different life, God opens doors for you. And I said, why are you scared? He said, I'm being very cautious. but he reminded me that I didn't have to be there. He reminded me that any other time in my life had he not interjected in my pain when he did, I, who knows where I would be. Honestly, I'd be dead. I'd be dead. And as we're jet-setting through the Bavarian Alps, I thought, how did I get here? God is how I got here. I realized that not only do I have so much to be thankful for, all of us, have so much to be thankful for. Amen. Amen is right. And it's perfect that this week is Thanksgiving, a time that we have to intentionally, we, we are called intentionally to think about all of the blessings that God has given us. But let's be honest, you know, you know, Michael said that Thanksgiving is a choice and he's right. Many of us walk around as if, myself included from time to time, as if we have nothing good, as if we're always waiting for something better to show up because we're in this dismal estate now, never looking at what we actually have in our life. You know, there's actually a word for this in psychology. It's called filtering. It's called a cognitive distortion. It's seeing all of this evidence around you, but only focusing on that which supports your argument. And sometimes we approach life as if we have nothing good. And so we filter all of the positive things out in order to bolster our feeling that we are victims, that we need more 
that we have nothing to be grateful for. But I'm here to tell you that thankfulness begets thankfulness. And it's in times like this that we have to intentionally look and be reminded of everything that we have to be thankful for. I was in a conversation with Mark uh, in a staff meeting, and he says, you know, I'm grateful for my salvation, the fact that I'm saved, but I'm also grateful for everything. And he started naming things. And it got me thinking about how our salvation means more than our eternal life. And so we're going to look at that today. We're actually going to check out how because our salvation is so all-encompassing and the struggles that we have are actually blessings, we have every reason to be thankful people. We need to do this because a lack of gratitude is bad for us and it puts a mark on the gospel. When people know that we are believers and we complain about what we do not have. So turn with me to Isaiah 61. This is actually a text that Jesus spoke and read when he stood up in um, the synagogue on the day he started his ministry. Okay, Some of you might not know that the name Jesus, Yeshua, actually means salvation. So when salvation, Jesus, Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he reads from this text, this is what he says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the, joy, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Sometimes when we think of salvation, we think of just what is happening at the end. We think one day I will go to heaven. One day there will be an afterlife. One day I will be in the new heavens and the new earth, the millennial kingdom, however you understand it. But we look to a time then. But the book of Ephesians says in the perfect tense, which means past completion, continuing results, we have been saved. That means our salvation is occurring now and part and parcel to that salvation are the things that Jesus spoke of in the synagogue that day. We often look at the things at the end instead of realizing that we, in some large measure, have them now and the degree to which we live in that reality. The reality of what we have now, what God has given to us now, dictates the way we live and the gratitude that we show. You know, salvation, this is your first principle for today, salvation encompasses more than what we'll just call eternal life or living forever. There are actually four in this text aspects to our salvation that I don't know that we always think about. We think of them as sort of blessings, but these are actually part of what it means to be saved. Obviously, there's the spiritual element. The scripture says to proclaim the good news to the poor. That's what we call the gospel, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness. Part of being saved, part of walking in our salvation is a continual renewing of our mind in order to see reality as it is. 
Certainly the moment that we are saved and we have faith, God has opened our eyes to see the truth. But even as we walk from day to day, God continues to reveal things to us. God continues to show us light in our own darkness. When I was uh, first, right before I got saved, I was reading Christian material, light reading. You know, it was called Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther. Um, And when I read that, I realized that I could resonate with this feeling of being completely unable to do that which I wanted to do. We see it in the book of Romans where Paul talks about, I know what I want to do, I know what I should do, but I just can't do it. And when I read that book by Luther, I realized I am captive to something. I knew it coming out of my addiction. I knew it dealing with what I was struggling with in my mind and in my actions, my obsessions, my compulsions. I understood that I was not free in the sense that I thought I was. You know, all of us, before we were called by the Lord and saved by his grace, we were captive. Now, I know it doesn't always feel like it. I know we say that we're our own people in the U.S., especially in the West. We talk about our own freedom to choose, to dictate our life, to say that we can pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and and do what it is we want to do. No one can tell me otherwise. But we have to admit in some sense, when we look at our lives, we all have done things that we wish we wouldn't have done. And there was something in us that moved that to happen, that something is our sin, that sin that we've been held captive to, the same sin that held me captive and allowed me to, to do the things that I did is the same sin that holds, holds little kids. Augustine said that babies don't sin not for nature, because of their nature, but they don't sin because they don't have the limbs yet to do it. They don't have the capacity to do it. And I think there's some truth to that. From the very start, you know, think about children. What is their very first word often? No or mine. We see it from the very beginning. But when salvation comes, when Jesus arrives, we are released from the captivity of our sin. In the book of Romans, chapter 6, it says that we were once held captive. Now we have been set free to serve, set free to love, set free to be righteous. Scripture here in Isaiah says that we will be called oaks of righteousness. That God has promised when salvation is visited upon us, when Jesus comes into our life, that one day we will stand firm. And we will live the lives that he's called us to live. Righteous lives. Righteous lives. So not only spiritual, but also there's an emotional element, as we see in this text. It says that when Jesus comes, he binds up the brokenhearted. I don't know about you, but I've been brokenhearted. And I know some of you have been as well. And we often in that brokenheartedness will say that, well, one day, when I get to heaven, all will be revealed, everything will be set in order, and I will understand, which is true. But I want to encourage you, those who are brokenhearted now, to call upon Jesus, your salvation, now. That he is here now promising to bind up your grief. In fact, it says right here that he provides provision for those who grieve. It says to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve. When salvation arrives, when Jesus comes, he heals our emotions when we let him. 
He provides for us in our grief over the despair of the world around us, the circumstances we find ourselves in, and even our own sin. And he bestows upon us oil of joy instead of ashes. Some of us have lived lives when we look back and we talk about our legacy. (laughs) It's dust. When we look to Christ, when we trust him, when we live in the salvation that he has promised us, those ashes begin to be replaced with joy. And later we'll see how we are, our lives are impacted. And we begin to rebuild those ruins. So surely there's a physical element. So we have spiritual, emotional, physical element to our salvation as well. He heals us. We see Jesus as he walked through this world. One of the marks of his ministry was the healing from sickness. I wonder about us sometimes as believers. I wonder about if we're really leaning in to what God says about healing here and now. When we lay hands on somebody, when we pray for somebody, are we doing so with the faith that God is going to heal them, even now? Or do we again believe that this part of our salvation is just something that happens at the end? One day, you know, and I say it, I talk about it all the time, well, they're perfectly healed, which is true. But do we expect something now? And do we live in the gratitude of being healed here and now? You know, I've had sniffles as school started, and it's like these kids are like Petri dishes. And it's like, today, we, this morning, I'm doing my thing, Eliana's on my lap, she's like, <coughs> you know, right in my face. I'm like, I'm definitely getting sick. But you know what? There's no reason, no good reason, that I should not die from being sick like that. When we look at the fact that we have our health, when we look at the fact that we are still alive, that we have a new day to breathe, no matter how we struggle, It is a testimony to God's grace working in our lives. It is salvation brought upon us. It is his goodness to us by healing us. And certainly there is a missional side of our salvation. We're saved for a reason. We're saved for a purpose. Many of us have looked, and myself included, have looked at our salvation as a get-out-of-hell-free card. And like once we've checked the box for our salvation, now that this is it, we have no longer anything to do. But in a very real way, we only fully embrace the salvation that God has given us when we're bringing that salvation to other people as well. When we take it out of the realm of our own heart, our own spirit, our own life, and we bring it to those around us, we find salvation to the fullest extent in our own. I don't know about you, but there are times that my life is hard. I'm having a bad day. I do not want to be grateful. The sun's in my eyes. I bump my elbow. I stub my toe. Everything is wrong. The coffee's too strong, whatever. And I know that in those moments, I need to pray to God and I need to call somebody and say, how's your day? How are you doing? How can I be a blessing to you? Is there something that I can be praying for? And when I do that, my attitude changes because it's supposed to. When we step in our salvation, when we walk in our salvation and we bring the good news, certainly not the Romans road every time. We're not preaching all parts of the gospel. We're bringing the light and love of Jesus to others. We find the salvation that we're so badly yearning for, the goodness, the change in our lives. It says that we will rebuild the ancient ruins. In our salvation, even here and now, God rebuilds the damage that our sin has caused in the past. And sin always causes damage. 
It never ends well. I was reminded, Elaine reminded me when I was telling my story to the young people that the number of days from the day I got out of prison or the number of days that I was in prison, listen to this, 2,216, or the number of days from the day I got out to the day I became the pastor. That's God redeeming the time. That's God restoring the devastated ruins that my life had been, that I had created. When we look to God and trust Jesus for our salvation, I mean beyond just that simple sinner's prayer, I mean in our day-to-day, that when we trust him, he rebuilds the ruins. Those of us, some of us have had difficult marriages rebuilt. Some of us have had difficult relationships with those around us, careers, work situations rebuilt when we trust the Lord and walk in the salvation that he brings when he arrives on the scene. So we might say, okay, that's great. We see how salvation is playing out in all of our lives, but what about my struggles? You don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. There's a phrase for that. It's called fantasy uniqueness. It says, you can't relate to what I have to say because my situation is different. Now, perhaps maybe in the most comprehensive sense or strict sense that, yes, your situation is different because it's your situation. It's not mine. But there's nothing new under the sun. When we listen to one another share and we understand what the other person, we're listening for the feeling. We're listening for the principles that are at play in the life of that person and in their situation. There's always points of convergence. We always can relate to something that they are going through. And so when we embrace our salvation, when we see what Jesus has brought, we begin to see that our struggles are actually a source of blessing. This is our second point. Our struggles are actually a source of blessing. For this passage, for this idea, I look to James 1. This is a, you know, one of those simple but not easy sort of passages. You know, the ones that tell you everything you hate is actually good, and you're like, yeah, right, I don't believe it, but let's look at it anyway. James 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kinds. Of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This tells me, This tells us that God uses the circumstances in our lives. The struggles is how I used it. And I want you to be clear. When I mean struggles, I don't just mean external trials because this is what this passage says, the word specifically, or external trials. But I want to expand that even to what's going on on the inside. That when we resist against the sin that is in us, when we resist against thrusting our priorities over God's and do the hard work of submitting again, let me say it another way, dying to self, that there's a blessing in that struggle if we allow it to happen. God builds our character character with our struggles. It says here that he makes us mature. I recently spoke to someone who said, oh, I'm mature, I don't need anything. I've been, I know, I'm good with God. I've been watching everything, I'm fine. I don't need anything. But that very attitude sort of points to the fact that they're not. And we have to be sensitive because each of us can have this same attitude. In fact, from day to day, I probably do. I'm sure some of you do as well. 
We say, no, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm walking where I'm supposed to be. But this is what I've learned is that our struggles show us that we have not arrived. Our struggles show us that we need to continue to grow. And when we allow those struggles to impact our heart, when we accept them and embrace them through the lens of God's love, they change us. I had mentioned at the beginning we were you know, having some financial questions here at the church and I sat in a meeting and we were discussing it. You know, how far back are we? Should we be worried? Should we be doing something different? Do we suddenly have to change everything that we do? Are we going to have to wear parkas at church on Sunday morning because we can't afford to heat the place? And I found it interesting that the younger people wanted action and the older people said, let's believe. There's something about walking with the Lord through struggles that forces us to look to the Lord for his provision and see that he again and again responds in our time of need. Where my sense is, first pastorate, let's, we need to do something drastic. The older people's response were, let's just wait and see what the Lord does. The Lord has gotten easily us through far worse situations here. So let's just trust. I think that's interesting, that paradigm, though. You know, there's, the young people tend to bring energy. The older people tend to bring faithfulness. And how a church that lacks older people, all energy, no faithfulness. And a church that is all older people, all faithfulness, no energy. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we need each other. We need each other. And it's one of the blessings of this church being an intergenerational church where we have younger people and older people Now, if we can just humble ourselves and listen to what the other side has to say, we'll really be on something. But that's a totally different story. Our struggles can create humility. Humility when we reach out and realize that, we recognize in our pain that we we don't got this. That I can't do this on my own. The biggest lie, that's a strong statement, a big lie, I'll say it like that. A big lie is God will never give you more than you can handle. That is a lie. God consistently gives us more than we can handle. That is the whole point of Jesus. We could not handle our sin. We cannot handle this world on our own. We cannot manage the consequences of our lives because we don't dictate what happens. Our struggles, our circumstances, our trials are intended to point us to him, to rely on him, and only our struggles will do that. Like I said, no one gets saved on the day they win the lottery. No one wins a billion dollars in Powerball and says, I need Jesus. They have everything they need. And that's a paradigm that we see in the Bible again and again. In the Old Testament, Israelites had everything they need. They were affluent. They were called, they were fat. They had all the food they needed. They had everything they needed. They didn't need God. Struggles is what points us to God because they give us fresh opportunities to seek God's face. Our struggles, not only everything what I just said regarding making us mature, our character, our faith, our opportunity to seek God, but they make us uniquely qualified to reach others with the gospel. I think about my life sometimes and all of the self-inflicted wounds, all of the pain that I've dragged myself through. And you know, God's math, his calculus is not like mine. I would say, well, if I did all of that, I should have an equal or greater impact in my ministry. But I don't know. God leaves the 99 for one. He goes a really far away to reach one person. 
So what if all of my struggles were to reach one person of infinite value in the eyes of God to bring the good news of the gospel? What if that's you? Same for you. What if your life and everything that you've lived, the good and the bad, have served to create in you the personality, the experience, the mind to reach a specific person? You don't know who it is. God doesn't tell you. So start searching. Start looking for your God-given mission that only you can accomplish, that your struggles make you uniquely qualified for. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship, that God created us specific and special for good works that we should walk in them, that he prepared beforehand. God from eternity past knew what you would suffer, knew what you would go through, knew the struggles, trials, and temptations you would have, and created you to act in the life of somebody else. That's an amazing idea. This is straight from God's word. Think about the power that you wield in your ministry, in your workplace, in your family, in your friend group, in this culture. God has given you a mission and your struggles have equipped you to do it. The identification that we find with others who have suffered like us gives us great clout in their life. And allows them to hear what we have to say. Finally, our struggles remind us that sin and Satan, not yet there, our struggles remind us that sin and Satan, he gave a sneak peek to my third point, it was the mic drop moment too, no I'm kidding. Our struggles remind us that sin and Satan do not have the final say. When things are hard here, when we're going through trials, let them be a constant reminder Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. That they do, sin, Satan, and the world do not get the last say. We already know who wins. We already know who is winning in us, for we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And one day, maybe soon, we will stand before him in a perfect glorified body among the Communion of the saints, everyone who's ever been saved, casting our crowns to Jesus and saying, he is the reason we have victory. And that is guaranteed, guaranteed. So now, if we've been given so much, if we have every blessing because of what Jesus, Yeshua, our salvation brings us, and even our struggles serve a purpose to promote and glorify God, to change us, Then finally, three, we have every reason to be thankful. Every reason to be thankful. We should be the, we should be irritatingly thankful people. We should be, we should, people should scatter from us because we show up and we're just like, isn't the world, God is good. I am doing great. How are you? Our lives should be a Our lives should be an example to others of the reality of what we believe. We talk some big game. We say some pretty lofty things 
The gospel is the loftiest of all ideas ever preached, ever spoken by man. God did a miraculous thing to save us from our sin, shame, despair. And we claim it now. We should be overflowing with gratitude, shouldn't we? We should be masters of a different perspective. We should be so trained that when something bad happens, we say, praise God. Consider it all joy when you face many trials. He says many. We should, like the more the merrier. It's like more trials? Pr- thank God. Praise God. Because we know that they do not have the end. They change us. They make us who Jesus wants us to be. And in the end, that's going to be way better. It's going to be worth it. It's not just positive thinking. I love that you said that. It's the most realistic thinking that could ever be. Positive thinking is being delusional and making things up. This is standing on the solid word of God and what he has promised. So we have substantial reasons for gratitude. This is why Paul can tell us to thank God in every circumstance. Let me go back to that text. I missed it. Rejoice always. Always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Listen to those words. Rejoice no matter what is happening. Rejoice. Praying the entire time. Giving thanks in everything. That means no matter what you find yourself in, there there is a reason for thanksgiving. There is a reason that we can rejoice for this is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. You know, our gratitude grows when we express it. Gratitude begets gratitude. Psalm 107, 1 and 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed, that's you, of the Lord say so. The words of how good God is should be on our lips all the time. All the time. But why not? Why aren't they? Well, a lack of gratitude is a sin. It's a sin. It needs to be resisted like any other sin. The blood of Christ needs to be applied to it after we've confessed it. and We need to look to him for the power to be grateful. This is not just do better. Even in our ingratitude, even in our ungratefulness, we need to look to the Lord to give us the power to do it. We should not wait to feel grateful to express our gratitude. We need to confess that we're ungrateful and the underlying attitudes that are in it. Lord, I'm not content. Make me content. There's a line we're going to hear that says, if you seek contentment, you will find it. When you seek contentment, you will find it. Act on faith and not on feeling. Use your gratitude at every turn to point others to Christ. So let's talk about the three again. One, salvation encompasses more than eternal life. Two, our struggles are a source of blessing and we have every three, every reason to be thankful. So let's be thankful. Let's start this week. Let's make a a determination and put a stake in the ground that starting today, we're going to look at the reality of what we have, and even in the face of our struggles, and to vocalize our gratitude to God, to ourselves, and to others. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We admit, Lord, that we are ungrateful sometimes, and we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of that. 
Give us the grace, Lord, as we seek you, as we seek your word, as we seek your goodness. Help us, Lord, to live lives that exemplify the reality of our situation. We pray, Lord, that you would show us more and more, bigger and grander, what it is that we actually have and not what it is we just think we have. And may we be people like this that point others to you and do so for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John, you want to grab the mic that's on the... We have one last testimony. You're going to about to get cross-examined up here by, <laughs> by our dear friend, John. Is this on? on? It will be. On yet? There you go. Yeah, when Adam used the word irritatingly, that's when I knew it was my turn to come <laughs> up here. Good morning, family. Very happy to be here. When Adam asked me to give a Thanksgiving testimony, we were texting each other, and uh, he said, you could have five to seven minutes, and I texted him back, and I said, I want triple that. And he said, let's talk. I'm not going to do that to you. It's going to be very brief, but if you were to take what George and Christy and what Adam said and a lot of the words that they used in giving their Thanksgiving testimony and the message, and you were to overlay it with some of the thoughts that I have, you would see almost the exact same words, adverbs, and adjectives used over and over again. And that was done, or that's true, even though I didn't know what they were going to talk about. Uh, so it's kind of God speaking. If there's a bubble over my head, when I was listening to Brother George and Sister Christy and Brother Adam, I'm like, they're stealing my thunder. How, how do they know what I was going to say? Um, but the one thing that I thought of when Adam you know, first asked me, I said, I am so grateful for so many things. I could have a list. I could come up here with a scroll and just let it fall down to the ground. You gave that example, that young lady who had like a, what was it, 175 or, yeah. And I could do that. And then I started thinking and I said, what is, what's the connective thread? What connects all that that I'm really thankful for? A lot of you have been through some very difficult times this year. A lot of you have had health concerns. You know people that health concerns. You've had young people struggling. And I've been, I've been through some of those same things. And what struck me when I was thinking about this is I'm thankful for one thing in particular. It's the it. And I'm going to ask you, because I like to teach, and I like people to focus on certain ways. I'm going to do something you maybe haven't done for a while. I want you to close your eyes. Keep them closed. I know you want to peek. There's nothing exciting or good looking to see up here. Keep your eyes closed. I'm going to stress something. I'm going to stress a word when I go through something, and you're going to be able to figure it out. And when I'm done, about a minute from now, you're going to watch a video. And I think that's going to drive the point home. I'm going to come back for another 45 minutes and wrap up. Now I'm going to come back for another 45 seconds. So close your eyes. It is more powerful than a speeding locomotive. It is more refreshing than the coolest drink on the hottest day. It is more available and anxiety reducing than the best vacation, even Germany. It is more impactful to youth than the biggest social media celebrity. It is more energizing than a triple espresso, a triple espresso or a Red Bull. It is more relationally life-affirming than any how-to improvement book or speech. 
Can you open your eyes? Can you roll the video? I found the answer. I learned to pray with faith to God. Me, I found a way. And weary, and I had gone astray, walking in the darkness. I could not find the way, but then a light came shining to lead me from this bed. All my sin forgiven, and I was free from care. I found the answer. Raise your hand if you know who that is. Who's singing? Raise it high. Mahalia Jackson, the MJ of gospel singing. Those of you who have never heard her, do yourself a favor. Go to YouTube. Type in Mahalia Jackson and listen to some of her gospel. It's just absolutely amazing. Those of you that are really good with words, you heard and, and you could tell what I was talking about. Uh, powerful, refreshing, anxiety-reducing, youthful-impacting, energizing, and relationally important prayer. Everyone that everybody was talking about today had some connective tissue to prayer. And our Salt and Light group, our band of brothers, I can't tell you how important prayer is and how much it's meant to all of us. I know George uh, mentioned that, Christy mentioned that in talking about her journey to get here. Um, so what I would say I'm very, very thankful for, for all the trials that um, I've been through and my family and people I love, I'm so grateful that this church is a praying church. I can't tell you how important that is and how, how much I appreciate that. Um, James 4, 8, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. How do you draw near to God? You talk to him. You pray to him. And, and that would be my, my hope for everyone this Thanksgiving. When you're with someone or you come across someone, maybe, you know, they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, just pray for them. It's amazing what that can do. So listen to Mahalia Jackson. She is the MJ of Gospel Singers. And thank you all for all your prayers. I'm truly blessed and I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.